I'm also delighted that you're here because we're starting a series of talks this month where we're looking at, uh, we've got a little cards that advertise this new year, Renewed You. And here's what we're going to be trying to unpack. Uh, And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to help you understand this by asking you a question. Firstly, how many of you have made, at any point in your life, made New Year's resolutions? New Year comes around, you go, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, I see those hands. Yeah, very, very good. Awesome. Now, how many of you have ever had the experience where you've started a New Year's resolution, it's gone really well, and then, you know, maybe after a day or two or three or a week or a month, it's gone, how many of you have had that experience? Yeah, yeah, all had that experience. Okay, that's great. Ah, now, let me ask you a final question. This one is a little more confronting. Uh, how many of you, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is, I am completely, utterly miserable with myself as a human being. I just, there is nothing about me that I really like. And 10 is, mate, I am perfect. I'm completely, utterly, totally content with every part of my life, with my health, with my looks, with my relationships, with my money, with my vocation. I'm totally at peace. Okay, one is totally miserable. Ten, I am just totally brilliant. Let me see a sign of hands. All of those of you who think you're a ten. Can I see that hand? Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we do have a few, we do have a few narcissists in the house, and, and we have a healing ministry for you. Only because you came here. That's it. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, we are. uh, Most of us, if we're honest, uh, make New Year's resolutions because we know that deep inside of us there's stuff that we want to change, right? But then the problem we have is we make those New Year's resolutions and we discover this adult behavior change is really, really hard to bring about. It's tough right? So the whole purpose of this series is to say, you know what, for, mm, there is a resource available to help us become the people we want to be that we often don't tap into. And that resource is, is the spiritual world that lies on the other side of the material, the other side of what we can see, touch, taste, feel, smell. There is a whole spiritual world that when we learn how to work with it, actually is an incredible resource to help us flourish as human beings and become everything that we long to be. Uh, In our tradition as Christians in this church, we, at at the heart of this spiritual resource, we think there is a God, um, and this is a God who loves us and wants to work with us to flourish. So uh, we're going to, over the next five weeks, think about, well, if there is a God, if there is this this untapped well of spiritual power available to help us flourish. How would we access that? What would that look like? And uh, we're going to start today by thinking about how that might work out as we think about our purpose in life. And then uh, next week, we're going to think about what it means to have a new heart, to change from the inside. We're going to think about minds. What does it mean to change the patterns of thoughts and feelings that we have about the world so they're helpful and healthy? And then we'll think about our bodies. And, uh, you know, that's going to be, uh, you know, Pilates Church, I think. We'll, might get rid of all the chairs and just do it on mats, and we'll have the spin bikes up the back. I've always wanted to do church like that. I thought that would just be awesome, you know, just... Uh, I'm joking, uh, mostly. Um, and then the last one, <laughs> the last one we'll do, uh, how do we form a new community? What are the kinds of relationships we need that God might help us with to help us flourish? And how do we make that work? So 
today. Uh, what we're thinking about is uh, this topic of, uh, hang on a moment, just got to get the pencil working. We're thinking about the topic of purpose. And uh, let's see if that is now working. I feel like Steve Jobs used to feel it is great big Apple, uh, you know, the big unveils, and almost always there'd be some technical thing that would go wrong. And that's what's happening for me this morning. It's too hot. Ah, there we go. Beautiful. Unlike humans, apples are, have a narrower operating temperature. So, uh, we're looking this morning at the topic of purpose, right? And the first thing I want to say is, hey, listen, uh, we are all hungry for purpose, aren't we? We are hungry for purpose. We want to know that what we do in life actually matters, don't we? Uh, so this is not just unique. This is not a new thing or a unique thing. Uh, in part of what I do with my life is I help uh, executives and people in the workplace think about how to form well-functioning teams and how to work together well. And uh, one of the things that I've learned and that I teach people in their workplace is. Uh, if you want to be more engaged and productive in your workplace, you've got to figure out why you do what you do. You've got to connect what it is you do day to day with some greater purpose. So, for example, uh, they've done this research with radiologists. When they are screening uh, mammograms and looking for cells for, for cancer in uh, breast scans, um, they did this scan with radiologists where they, uh, they had two groups of radiologists, one who just did the normal way when the, the scans came up, they checked it out and they passed, you know, then they wrote up their report. The other one, what they did is when the scans came up, they put a photo of the patient next to the scan. Guess what happened? Uh, the uh, intensity of scrutiny and the accuracy of diagnosis increased in a statistically significant way. Why? Because now the radiologists understood their purpose in looking at this fairly difficult to discern blob of data on a screen in front of them. They realized why they were doing this was because there was a human being whose life would be profoundly impacted by what they were doing. When we discover our why, when we discover our purpose in life, we start to find that it, it actually energizes us and gives us the ability to do things that before seemed boring and tedious and maybe even self-destructive. Now we can leave behind the self-destructive stuff and lean into things that bring about real flourishing and greatness on our part when we discover the purpose. But uh, there's a bit of complexity around purpose. We're all hungry for it, but actually we get into a... Uh, we get into a self-defeating cycle around purpose and our purpose, and I'll explain why. See, what is, what is the purpose of something? A purpose, can, you can define it as, uh, a purpose is the, the reason um, uh, for which something exists, right? Okay. Uh, the purpose is the reason for which something exists. That's what you've got to discover. Now, what does that mean? Let me, let me explain here. So uh, here is X, 
and X is, is a, some thing, and X exists to do Y, right? Now, what that means is, you can think of it this way, X is the means, and this is really important, you can hear a lot about means, and Y is the end. Okay? And uh, the purpose of X is to do Y. X is a means to an end. So if you're to understand the purpose of anything, it means being very clear to understand the nature of the thing and the end for which this thing was made. All clear? So um, I have a little Apple Pencil here. Uh, this is my X, and this was made for a particular purpose, right? If I use this to um, write on my iPad, then it's fulfilling its purpose. And it's going, this is great. The, the pencil is existentially happy at this point because, you know, look at that. This is what it's made to do, right? But now, what if I try and phone someone on my pencil? Well, hey, Siri. <laughs> Just checking. It's not, a, so, well, it's not like this. It's not working. Hang on. It's not like it's not connecting to the network. Why? It's, it's not made for that. It's not made for that. So, there are, so do you see how purpose works? You understand the nature of the thing, you understand the end for which it's created. There are two problems in our culture when we come to think about our purpose that are really tricky. Okay, so two problems. One is, here are the problems, right? One is, um, we don't agree on our nature and therefore our end. So when you look in our culture, it's very hard to get agreement on what is it that we're actually, what is the very essence of human nature, of humanity, and therefore what is it, what are we made to do? What is the good life, right? Uh, philosophically, this is a massive shift over the last few hundred years to what the philosophers call uh, philosophical voluntarism. And philosophical voluntarism is the approach in life that says, I create the world on the basis of my choices. There's a voluntary nature in, in how I live. So, um, and we see this, it's, it's been brewing philosophically and ethically for centuries, it comes into fruition in all kinds of interesting ways. And I don't propose to go into this, but if you want to understand um, our current debate in the literature around uh, transgender and body dysphoria and how we treat people who feel that there's a disjunction between their biological gender and their mental or psychological or genetic or, or hormonal gender, you have to understand the massive trend is theological voluntarism that says nothing is given anymore. Even the very, even your anatomy doesn't constrain who you are because you have to decide for yourself I have to decide for myself what I am. And deciding what I am, I can then decide what my purpose is. Of course, the problem is uh, <laughs> that changes all the time. How, how do I really know what I am? Surely there must be some givenness in the world. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, we were, at the, we were at Manly the other day with our dog, walking the dog. 
And uh, there's a big sign up on the, on the beach saying, you know, dogs not permitted by order of the chief grand poobar of Manly Council. And I thought, listen, my dog identifies as a person for the purpose of walking. She really does. She's very smart and very cute. So, so you see, there is a givenness, but we struggle to understand what it is. We struggle to find what it is, and we struggle to actually submit to that givenness in all sorts of ways. So that can be a problem for us in all sorts of ways. And I, and I don't mean to make light of it because this has been brewing hundreds of years. It's a deep, it's, it's so embedded in us, we struggle even to understand how, how unusual this is in terms of the history of ideas. But there's a second problem. So we get, go from the realm of, uh, of abstract philosophy into something deeply personal. And our second problem is, is much deeper uh, and actually more problematic. Our second problem is um, that and this is your problem, I want to be an end, not a means. Isn't that a problem for us? Like, um, actually, the truth of the matter is that I don't like being a means to some other end. I want to be the end. I want to be the center of my life and my world. I want it to be about me. I want the world, and by the world I mean you and anyone else, to, to be the means to serve me. So there's an inherent contradiction, and it's interesting, when we, we, talk, when we talk about, oh, I've got to find my purpose. When you dig beneath that, what we're often saying is, I've got to find that thing that will meet my needs and make me be psychologically well-adjusted, self-actualized, have a meaningful, fulfilling life. But purpose is the thing we find just on the other side of the boundary of it's all about me. Purpose is what we find on the other side of it's all about me. You won't find your purpose in life I won't find my purpose in life until I understand there is a givenness to the world. I need to understand what my fundamental nature is. You know, is, am, I, am I here to, what am I here to do? And then, once I've sorted that out, I need to understand, okay, given that, how do I stop making it all about me? How do I discover what it is to be a means, not an end? Does that make sense? We all have a tendency, we want, to be, we want to be ends. But actually, the life only works when we're a means. So, uh, here's the question. Um, what is, uh, are you an end or a means? And what is the end for which you and I were made? Now, most people, when you dig down into it, um, most people would say that very central to the uh, to our, uh, our lives and what we're made for is other people. So in the example I used about radiologists, why was that so powerful? Why did that actually work so powerfully to help radiologists? It's because they had what those researchers call a pro-social meaning. That is, that they discovered that what they were doing was serving other people. Serving other people. When we understand, and this is the paradox of humanity, that 
we are all here fundamentally to treat other people as ends and ourselves as means, then we start to find ourselves on a path to discovering our purpose. Uh, very powerful. You can do this in every area of life. It's hard to sustain when you start to say, I'm here for others. I'm here for others. It's not about me. It's about other people. This is quite commonly understood, right? This is not, a, this is not rocket science. And in fact, uh, but, but in fact, uh, there's a problem with that, isn't there? <laughs> there's two problems with living for others. What's the first problem? The first problem is this, it seems to me. As much as I say, I'm here to treat you as an end, not a means, the first problem is deep within my heart, do I not end up, I end up coming right back here time and time again. I just get, I just end up back here. I end up going, no, it is about me. It really is. So I try to live for you, but you know what? I'm only living for you because I've listened to a motivational speaker or read a self-help book that says, if I live for you, I'll be happiest. <laughs> but what happens then when I do live for you and I discover that I'm living for you, but in living for you, I'm still really living for me, I discover that it doesn't really work. Let me give you an example. Over the years, I've watched lots of uh, folk who've had great corporate careers then move into the not-for-profit sector. Okay, now why do they do that? Well, because, you know, I've gone out to work, I've made my money, I've had my career, now I want to do something that will give my life purpose. So I've got to go help other people, right? Let me tell you, when you treat helping other people, serving the poor, as a means to your own end, you're setting yourself up for a whole world of disappointment and frustration, and actually, it, it, you know, the aid and development sector is full of people who are treating the poor as a means to serve themselves and find their own purpose in life. So what's the answer? Don't care about social justice and don't care for the poor? Is that the answer? No, no, the answer is find a way to change our hearts so that we can regularly self-correct, that as I start to engage with the issues of poverty and suffering or injustice, as I try to find you as an end, not a means, and I discover my heart slowly turning back to becoming self-absorbed, I have to find something to change my heart. I have to find a mechanism to self-correct. Otherwise, I just end up, no matter how good at it, what I'm doing on the outside is, actually the inner motivation is just, it's all about me which means you've missed your purpose in life because your purpose in life is not about you. It's about building into other people. But there's a second problem. If your purpose is other people, what do you think that might be? If you live for others, one problem that strikes me is that uh, the people I live for are going to leave me and are going to die. So that's not great, is it? Like, okay, my purpose in life is to live for someone else. And then I live for them. And I pour my life out for them. And then they die. Go back to the aid and development uh, field where Margot and I have spent a bit of our lives uh, engaging with this over the years. Um, you can pour your life into a development project in, in a part of, the, part of the world and do amazing work. 
And guess what? It just takes one military coup, one civil war, one outbreak of Ebola, one natural disaster, and your life's work goes up in one massacre. Like, and so then what's the point of that? Right? Aren't you glad you came along? Am I helping you here with your purpose? You've discovered that it's impossible to really sustain a life of purpose internally because our hearts get all twisted. And we've discovered that everyone we want to serve is going to die anyway. So what should we do? Well, think about it this way. We know deep in our hearts that the real purpose is about serving others. What if there was an other who we could serve who would never die, would never leave us, would never abandon us, and in whose service, as we lent into serving them, it actually changed our hearts so that we became increasingly good at treating them as an end, not a means? What if there was someone in the world who we could find who would always be there for us and in service of whom we would find ourselves just flourishing more and more and more? Wouldn't it be good if we could find such a person? Well, the the truth of the matter is, yes, it would be amazing. And what's even better, if Christianity is true, and look, I think it is, I think there's good reasons to think it's true. If Christianity is true, that's the central claim of Christianity, that this is in fact exactly how we're made and how God has organized the world to be. When Jesus was alive, now let's think of Jesus not just as some mythical figure, he was a historical figure, and let's think of Jesus perhaps as the most brilliant person who's ever lived, most brilliant insight into humanity and into the way the world worked, okay? Um, because his life, his short, three short years of life, uh, on, any, on any account, have changed the whole course of human history. His moral teaching, his insights into life have never been um, surpassed. Uh, So what does Jesus say? When he was asked by a bunch of religious lawyers, they said to him, hey, Jesus, tell us, tell us our purpose. Tell us what human life is really all about. What does Jesus do? Well, he repeats the wisdom of the uh, Jewish people that had been in circulation at that point for like a thousand years. And he says this, this is our purpose. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's he saying? Do you know what you're made for? You're made to love others. Yes, that's awesome. But you know what you're made for? You're made not just to love created, human, fragile, feeble others, as good as they are. You're actually made to love an infinite, personal, eternally existent, glorious creator who is a community of infinite love himself. That's the claim of Christianity. That's what you're made for. So you will find your purpose in life. You will find what you were made for when you love God more than anything else. You treat God as a means, not an end. And as you do that, you know what you'll discover, according to Jesus, If you love God first, what you'll discover is your heart starts to change. So you start to learn as you love God, you learn, ah, there is incredible freedom in treating someone else as an end and not myself being the end. There's immense freedom and joy in that. Ah, I can do that. And actually when we, and one of the reasons we can do that 
uh, is because we know that, that this God is a God of infinite patience and, and forgiveness, which matters because guess what? You know what happens in human relationships? Um, you, you love someone, you treat them as an end for a while, and then you get overtaken by a rash of selfishness, which happens to all of us. You start to go, well, I want to treat you as a means to my end. And you do that once, and the person's like, okay, I forgive you. And then you do that a second time, and they're like, okay, I forgive you. You do that a third time. Eventually, the other person says, get stuffed. Mate, I'm done with this. You just keep, you just keep using me. The claim of Christianity is God's store of patience and forgiveness is infinite. <laughs> so no matter how often we screw up and become selfish and unlove him, when we go back to him, we discover there's always only forgiveness and grace waiting for us. That's the first good reason. But listen, um, it's hard. There is a price to be paid for finding your purpose in this way. There's a price to be paid always for treating others as ends, not as means. Um, again, going back to the business world, there was a, uh, we lived in North America for five years in Canada, and um, you may not know this, but, but in North America and in the US, there's a massive um, drugstore chain, pharmacy chain called CVS, and uh, they had a very courageous CEO who looked at his business, looked at their business, and, and at the time, um, drugstores, pharmacies sold uh, tobacco products. Imagine that, you go to the chemist, and you could, buy your, you could buy your cigarettes at the chemist. This was how they made a lot, a lot of money. And the CEO of this uh, chemist, massive national chain of chemists, said, went to his board and said, our purpose is the health of our customers. And selling cigarettes is at odds with that purpose, so we need to stop doing it. Uh, do you know that decision cost them billions of dollars? There's a price to be paid for finding your purpose and living it out. It's not, it's not easy. It's not cheap. Now, it changed the whole nature of, because once they made that stand, over, the, over a decade, it changed the whole structure of the U.S. drugstore, chemist industry, and now they're back and profitable. And it's all had a happy ending, right? doesn't always, but in this case, it did. But for you and I, there's a price to be paid for purpose. It's the price of here's what Jesus says, of crucifying yourself, of dying to yourself and saying, no, it's not about me. The price is, is to be paid to say, I'm going to put my desire to be an end, my need to be an end, my deep fear that if I don't look after me, no one else will put that on hold and give myself to others. How do we pay that price? Where do we find the power to pay that price? Well, you find it in this. God, the God of Christianity, if it's true, is the only being in the world who actually is an eternally existent end in himself. God is the only one who actually exists purely forever and for always for his own good and glory, right? If there is a God, that's the appropriate thing for God to do. Um, every other religion says... This God exists as an end, the supreme end. And what you and I have to do is serve this God, go through the seven steps of enlightenment, the five paths of whatever, and over time, slowly, we can approach this God who is the supreme end. You know what Christianity says? 
says that price is too high. We'll never actually get there. So what Christianity says is the exact opposite, that this God who was always an end does something unthinkable. This God becomes a means to our end. So what do I mean? Jesus says this, the son of man, that is himself, did not come into this world to be served. Jesus said, I didn't come to get you guys to treat me as an end. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. He says, this is how radical Christianity is. Rather than saying to you and I, find God as an end and serve this God and find a way to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and eventually connect. Christianity says, God has come to us and said, let me serve you. Let me give you a new heart. Let me change you from the inside so that you can, over time, learn to live for others and learn to live for God. And God says, I'll do it all for you. I'll come and change you. I will break this paradox, this bind we're in. And you know what? It gets even better. Because the, Jesus goes on to say that, listen, if we, if we give ourselves to God, if he changes our hearts, he serves us and changes us, as we serve him, we are serving a person who will never die. <laughs> right? Makes sense. And it gets even better than that. As you and I serve this being who will never die, guess what? We discover that the threads of our lives get woven into the thread of his life in such a way that we'll never die either. That, that the good we do, the service we do in the service of this great God who served us, as we weave our lives into this God's being, Everything we do, our work, our love, our families, our care for the poor, our desire for justice, our care of creation, these things in a way that we can't begin to imagine get woven into this eternal tapestry of the life of God. So we find purpose. We find purpose that lasts way beyond our, the mortality of our own bodies and the mortality of the bodies around us because in God we get woven into an eternity of life and purpose. Isn't that amazing? Now, um, that's a lot to get your heads around when it's 35 degrees. Um, but I think it's true. I think no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, this is the most important stuff we can ever think about. And until we get this fundamental dynamic right, we're never going to become all that we're made to be. But once we get this right, once we learn to be loved by God and then love him back and love others, you know what? We start to find all of life falls into place. It's a journey. Come back next week. Come back for the next year. Come back, join us on this journey for the next decade or the next 30 or 40 years as we figure out and as we learn together how to live in this way, lives of purpose. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, um, Thank you that you loved us. You came into this world not, to, not, as a, not as an end demanding that we serve you, but you came as the infinite, powerful, forgiving God. You came into this world as a servant, as a means for the end of our transformation and healing and restoration. And I pray for each of us in this room this morning that... We will, we will even this morning know a little bit more 
uh, of your love and your grace and your mercy and your healing power at the very core of our being and that this will change us so that we can be women and men who love others and make a difference in this world forever. Amen. Now, uh, what we're going to do is uh, find the Wi-Fi. We're going to move and have communion. We're going to. Jesus has given us a. Um, Uh, a symbol to enable us to uh, remember and feed on this truth. And it's a symbol of communion. It's called communion, uh, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And uh, we're going to, we're going to um, share in that now. I'm just getting the technology working. Uh, Penny, you're going to have to help here and drive it manually. So uh, some prayers are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to invite you to um, say these together with me, and then I'll explain to you in a moment how communion will work. So let's uh, pray this together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you, and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And here is a prayer of confession because one of the realities is we discover that we have let God down and uh, treated him in ways that are unhelpful. So let us pray together. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And keep going. And keep going. We'll go skip the creed. We've sung that. Go to the next slide down. And let's pray together this prayer of preparation as we prepare to come and eat this. Uh, these are taken straight from the words of Jesus as he talked to a, an irreligious woman who came begging for mercy. Uh, let's say together, we do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. And if you can respond in the words in bold, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. All glory and honor be yours always and everywhere, mighty creator, ever-living God. We give you thanks and praise for our Savior Jesus Christ, who by the power of your Spirit was born of Mary and lived as one of us. 
By his death on the cross and rising to new life, he offered the one true sacrifice for sin. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Merciful God, we thank you for these gifts of your creation, this bread and wine, and we pray that by your word and Holy Spirit, we who eat and drink them may be partakers of Christ's body and blood. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, and again, giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Therefore, we do as our Savior has commanded, proclaiming his offering of himself made once for all upon the cross, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and looking for his coming again, we celebrate with this bread and this cup. So let me tell you how it works here. Everybody is uh, welcome to join us with commu- here, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, if you want to live a life with God, um, wherever you are, or if you want to want this, you're welcome to join us. Uh, and how it works is if you come down the center aisle and uh, you will get a piece of bread from Joe, we also have gluten-free options. Uh, you take and you eat the bread and then you move across and you get either grape juice or wine from Liz. You drink at, at the station there and then you walk back. And on your way, if you can pop your empty little glass in the steel bowl, which is on this chair down the front. Does that make sense? Okay, so everyone's welcome. Let's come and eat and drink together as a family of faith.